Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hi, I'm Matt Kane, Editor-in-Chief of Attitude. And thanks for joining me on this latest Attitude Heroes podcast. Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. My guest today is a musician who'll be instantly recognisable to anyone who grew up listening to pop music in the 80s and 90s. And he's someone who's still going strong 30 years on. He's also someone who made a massive impact on me personally, as he was one of the very first men I came across who was openly gay. In fact, I can still remember being completely blown away by an interview with him in Smash It's magazine all those years ago because I simply hadn't encountered anyone who was so upfront about his sexuality. And all this at a time when I was just starting to understand mine. He is Andy Bell from Erasure. I've got to tell you right away that Andy was very candid when we spoke. So if strong language offends you, you could always switch this off and listen to Erasure's greatest hits instead. If you've chosen to stay with us, and I hope you have, you'll hear Andy talk about his lack of confidence. Then it was, you know, it was very hip to be kind of like gender bending and stuff like that, you know. But I was hopeless at doing it. I, mean, I, <laughs> I used to go out, you know, into again in heaven and wear drag and go with my friends. And again, I was so shy, I couldn't even speak to anybody. About the ups and downs of being a gay icon. I think gay people got a bit sick of me. I was voted to go back in the closet one time. I did get the keys to San Francisco in 1988. I think that I think that I think in 1989 they voted me back in the closet. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> and how club music goes hand in hand with lust. You really felt like being a rabbit in the headlights that you had to sleep with so many men in a short time. Because all the music, all the songs were all about that. So on a lovely sunny day, let's go and sit down with Andy Bell in his very swish penthouse flat in London's Docklands. Andy. Thank Hello. you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here in your glamorous flat underneath <laughs> an Andy Warhol of the Queen. Shh. <laughs> yeah. It's very calm. Well, it took me a long time to get it, so I, 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 I just got it last year, so I'm kind of very pleased. Is it your prized possession? Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. And where are all the gold discs? I expected platinum gold discs all over the walls. Yeah, they are in the cupboard. They used to be in my... Um, in my office in the, when, I, when I lived in Highgate. I, I moved here three years ago and uh, they were on the wall, not all of them, just like a few, but uh, there's no room to put them really, but I think they're better in the, in the airing cupboard. <laughs> yeah, they, make good, they make good gifts because you get always people asking for charity things to sign, you know, ah, so okay. they make quite good gifts. Anyway, it's great to meet you. And actually, it's quite emotional for me meeting you because I was always a massive fan of Erasure when I was growing up, a massive fan. But I have a confession to make. When I first became aware of you, when Sometimes was a big hit, I would have been about 11. Yeah. And I was quite frightened of you oh. because you, to me, represented... You were literally the only gay person out there right. for so long and um, you represented to me what other people were telling me was wrong uh -huh. and what I didn't want to become. Yeah. At that time, when you were so publicly gay... Right. It really was not accepted, was it? 
It wasn't, not really. I mean, I mean, the reason that I felt comfortable doing it was because Jimmy Somerville was already there. Yeah. And to me, and he was like a real hero to me. And uh, I mean, from Small Town Boy, you know, it's, it's, it gave me goosebumps, that song. And um, I was very fortunate because, uh, I mean, I'd moved down to London with the intention of being in a band. And also because I thought, felt Peterborough was too small to be gay. And, um, you know, I had a girlfriend when I moved to London, but then she helped me to, to kind of come out and stuff. She taught me to my first gay group. Oh, my God, Matt, can I just say, you've said about five things there that I want to repeat. You've said growing up in Peterborough, you've said the band, you've had a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, she helped you to come out. Yeah. Um, but, sorry, yeah, so being publicly, being so publicly gay when there yeah. were so few of you. Yeah, Jimmy Somerville beat you to it by a couple of years. Yeah. But even so... Well, I just decided, you know, I mean, we Erasure were touring a lot, especially in the early days. I mean, we still do, but in the early days, and we were going to North America a lot, and I thought, like, well, I'm just going to make this make this show like a gay pride parade, you know. And on the, I remember on the very first single that we released, which didn't get played, Vince and I were both wearing drag. And I, th <laughs> I think it was like, Vince thought it was really cool that I was gay, because, you know, I always... I thought it was kismet when we met, you know, and I answered an ad for, for him. And Because uh, he'd already been in Yazoo. Yeah, he was and... in Yazoo and Depeche Mode. And, uh, and I thought, who's the most left-field person in pop that I could possibly work with? And I thought, Vince Clark. And I thought I should write him a letter and see if he needs a new singer because he had just split with Alison Moyet. And um, after I'd left my girlfriend, I'd had a boyfriend for about six months. We were living together. And then I had another boyfriend and he lived in, like in, a, in one of the last cooperative houses, gay cooperatives in London, Ooh. off Holloway Road. So I moved in there with him and it was a huge house. And they had Lisa Power there, Andy Picos, all these people were like working for Gay Switchboard, Pink Paper. So my education was just like, bam, you know, straight away. You went from all, a girlfriend to that. Yeah, all about gay <laughs> stuff, you know. And I was, we were going round and reviewing bars. I was taking the photos of the bars for the pink paper with my friend. And, um, yeah, so it was kind of a baptism of fire, really, in the house. And I was kind of a bit... I was very fortunate because I didn't really have jo a job then. And um, so I did kind of part-time things and and looked after the house. But I remember one of my housemates, Andy, who now works with Gok Kwan, he said, because I used to rehearse to Yazoo Records and Alison Moyet Records, and he said, oh, this is going to be you in one year's time. And I thought, well, how, does, how do you know that? It's... But you know what? It's interesting because you say that Vince Clark was cool and um, edgy and this, that, the other, and he saw you being gay as cool, yeah. which is absolutely... Um, true that he had that cool thing at the yeah. time but at the same time to the mainstream there was this hysteria around being gay wasn't there particularly when the AIDS crisis really yeah I mean I, to be honest I you know I, I was already out anyway so to come out in pop was I saw they advertised they had a gays in rock seminar at the ICA so I went to it, <laughs> you know, just when I first started working with Vince and either Jimmy was going to be there or Tom Robinson was there. And so Tom Robinson was there and I just waited till the end of the seminar and, and, I, and I said to Tom, oh, how do you come out in music? Because I didn't know how, how you do it. So he said that he wore a pink triangle badge and waited till, till people asked him questions. So I just thought like when we did interviews for smash hits and things like that, if they ask you about you know, are you seeing anybody? I'll just say, yeah, I've got my boyfriend. I've, but I met my partner then the same time as I met Vince, so my whole life kind of changed. My life partner then, Paul. So my whole life kind of changed, not overnight, but over a couple of years. So we had, um, I probably had about four years of freedom, I would say, on the gay scene. Before the before AIDS the crisis, AIDS crisis yeah, and it was to me it was quite um, it was really a weird experience because of being so shy as well. You know, I'd one of my girlfriends from Peterborough, another girl, she was punk girl. She had a brother who was gay who'd moved to London, so and she had left school. So I used to go around to her house and like have a cup of tea and stuff and stay as long as I could, just so I could hear stories about her brother. And she told me this. Um, about this club called Heaven in in London, and there, <laughs> and there was this other club in the back called Cha Cha Chas that was like I've heard of that one. a bit sort of 
um, trendy and stuff, you know, and had punks and goths going there. And that's where I wanted to go to. But you know what? It's, it's interesting to me that you went from, you've said that you're shy. Yeah. And um, you've said that you were shy and that you had this kind of curiosity about gays and you didn't know how to come out as a, as a gay pop star. And you went from that to just kind of being so completely out, you know, performing yeah. on stage with your bum hanging out yeah. of chaps with no knickers and... Yeah, I think I was kind of one of those people where, even though I was really shy, you know, if, if I felt compelled to do something, I'd do it like all guns blazing. Because, like, even yeah. when I was in school, I had, you know, um, one of my best friends, we ended up being boyfriends, and then um, I got dumped. Because oh. it was, you know, it was that kind of shame story again, you know, the yeah. embarrassment story. So was this, so sorry, this is while you this were is at it, school? Yeah, this was in Peterborough in, in my secondary school. Oh, and were you in love with him? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was in love with him. I mean, we were really, really close. But then there were two other guys who were like in the next year who I who I, I knew really well, one of them. And they used to walk around school holding hands. So, oh my God, your school sounds like a gay bar. I know, so I, I needed to like, go to that school. You know, I said, I, I mean, I really had a crush on them so bad because they were like really good looking and everything. And so I said to them, um, I, I said, do you mind if I come and meet you after school? And they said, yeah, okay then. And they, they, he, one of them lived a few doors down. So I went and knocked on the door and I thought, well, and they said, yeah, what is it? And I said, well, I, I can only tell you the truth. I'm in love with you both. Oh. You know? And, what did <laughs> and they, they said, like, oh, no, it's not. They said, well, it's not real. We're just pretending, like, just to kind of shock people and stuff like that. Um, but in and some what's ways. I, I couldn't tell. But I know that I did sleep with one of them later on <laughs> who had a girlfriend. Oh, my God. You know. As did you. Yeah. This is, so, all, this is quite a barrage of. Uh, there's a lot going on here, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of. <laughs> So, the, I mean, in Peaceborough, I just felt so frustrated. I was so frustrated. I was like, I, I ended up making um, little drawings in my exercise books of flick porn. You know, like doing the actual drawings. What, of like? Of like of someone oh, yeah, coming or something, you. you know, and just making it like a little flick book because you couldn't get anything. You know, you had a, either a catalogue, a Freeman's catalogue, Oh, no, like, I used to look at the, um, I was going to say the Argos catalogue, but it wasn't, it used to be like the next directory or something, didn't yeah. it? And, um, in my day, and you used to look at the underwear at the back and yeah. see the bulges. So I still, have, <laughs> I still have a fetish for those 70s pants, you know, those <laughs> like, or like, I call them straight pants. I really like those straight, yeah, straight pants. Yeah, my friends with the whole sack of spuds, whatever, hanging yeah, out Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the th you know, I, I used to, um, just when I joined Eurasia, Vince said, oh, oh he kind of twigged that I was gay because... All these boys kept coming around to the studio. I was I was kind of showing off, you know, to people, and um, but I was going to heaven at the same time on Wednesdays, and I went probably for about a year without speaking to anyone. I would just go and sit in the same place every time. They probably thought I was a freak or something, and uh, you know, you see Boy George there and Kenny Everett and Marilyn and all these people, and I, and I was just like gobsmacked. I was like, my mouth was just dropping open. But that's fascinating to me that you sat there and didn't speak to anybody, your mouth yeah. was dropping open, you went from that yeah. to being out there on stage, totally gay, in drag, in yeah. sequins, feather boas, yeah. when, you know, Boy George wasn't publicly out, the Pet Shop yeah. Boys weren't publicly out, George Michael wasn't publicly yeah. out. There was you, Jimmy Somerville, beat you by a year or so, yeah. and Colin and Barry on EastEnders. Yeah. But you put yourself on the front line. Yeah, I did do, purposely. Did you feel vulnerable? Did you feel like you were in the firing line? Yes, to me, that was the whole part of it, was being vulnerable. Was that you knew that you that at any moment, you know, you were completely naked and completely bare and burying your soul, and at any moment, anything could happen. So it's kind of like, I mean, things did happen. You know, we had right up until 1997... I mean, we were on tour with David Bowie, of all people, you know, and uh, rotating with No Doubt, being the headliner before he came on. And we got booed, like, for the whole show. We were booed. They were throwing missiles at, her, at us. And they were all mooning, like the boys, getting on their girlfriend's shoulders and taking their, taking their, their pants down, yeah, and sh showing their bums off. So how did you feel when you were getting so... And also in the press, you had a lot of abuse. Yeah. How did you know, how did you... If you were making yourself vulnerable and putting yourself out there, yeah. putting your head above the parapet for all of us, 
Um, yeah. How did you feel emotionally? Um, I just felt like that was my pu- that was my purpose. You know, I didn't feel like I just to me I just felt like that was normal. You know, that was what's that's what you're supposed to do. That I felt like, and I felt, and I thought I can't perform in, in any other way because I because oh in some ways I sort of felt like okay so you want a gay stereotype so I'm going to give you one and kind of like make it even more over the top than it yeah. really is you know because and also I mean like then it was you know it's very hip to be kind of like gender bending and stuff like that you know and but I was hopeless at doing it I, mean, I, <laughs> I used to go out you know into again in heaven and wear drag and go with my friends and again I was so shy I couldn't even speak to anybody and when you started um when you and Vince started playing your music to record execs and when you got signed did anybody what was the conversation like around your sexuality? Did anybody advise you not to be out um, or was, to tone it down? It was really okay, really. I mean, we, we Vince was already with Mute, and he's been with them. He's been with them forever, and so so have I, because I came along with Vince. I came as part of Vince. So, um, and it's always been totally fair, you know. Daniel's really cool. He has the most obscure artists on Mute, and. Um, you know, we didn't... We, I mean, in the beginning, we did the video in drag and then I wanted to do the second video as Judy in Wizards of Oz, you know. <laughs> and they said, well... And they made me this gingham dress and it was really awful. So I, <laughs> so I went for this spacesuit kind of look instead, like Thunderbirds. And then, um, and then on sometimes when we wore the jeans and the T-shirt and that, all of a sudden that was a hit... Um, you know, it was kind of like you, you, you couldn't really work out. It's, it was like, oh, because that's your straight drag almost, you know, the T-shirt and jeans. And then uh, later on when, we've, when, we, when our hits weren't doing so well, somebody said, oh, can't you put a dress on? Like back, yeah, like yeah, yeah. back to get some headlines. You know, I remember one time uh, wearing the, uh, the rubber leotard a, a clip on top of the pops and this this was for Victim of Love and then the single just jumped up like 40 <laughs> places or something like that you know um, Interestingly you had a string of hit singles but your albums always sold in massive quantities yeah. so actually it, yeah. it, there's no way it could have just been gay people buying your music so this argument that existed at the time yeah. that it was bad for sales to camp it up too much or yeah, yeah. you know to come out and there was so you know people like boy george the pet shop boys didn't yeah. come out at the beginning we yeah. you know george michael for ages yeah. you actually weirdly proved that wrong didn't you yeah i, I suppose so i mean i, I mean i was I suppose I was quite harmless, you know, I was kind of the boy next door looking and, you know, um, I wasn't really outrageous apart from being on the stage, I don't think. Well, your your work wasn't kind of sexually confrontational, like no. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax, no. was quite... Um, yeah, in your face. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You, were in your, you were in our faces, but it was um, with a kind of cheeky smile. Right. Rather than with that dark kind of... Yeah. I might fuck you, kind of thing. You know, yeah. yours was kind of sweet. I think and some people got a bit got a bit sick of me. I think, I think gay people got a bit sick of me. I was like, I was voted to go back in the closet one time. Who voted? Who did that? I don't know. It was like, it was somewhere. It was. I think it was somewhere somewhere in America. You know, even though it was. Uh, I, I did get the keys to San Francisco in 1988. Very I think nice. that I think that I think in 1989 they voted me back in. Well, it's interesting you should say that though, because yeah. I said to you right at the beginning of this, <coughs> I was always a massive fan. But at the beginning, yeah. when I wasn't comfortable with myself, admittedly, I was 11 at the time. Oh right, yeah. Um, you know, I was frightened of you and what you represented. Uh, you know, that's what I I had yeah. to say honestly. And I suppose if gay men. When you were really famous and you were yeah. on stage with sequins and feather boas yeah. and chaps with no knickers and your bum hanging yeah. out, then people who aren't comfortable with that side of themselves yeah. are going to not like you, are they? Right. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's really strange. I mean, when I think back to it, you know, I mean, I was teased from really early on, from probably like, I didn't even understand, you know, like go, walking to junior school and stuff like that, you know, and, getting called girl and sissy and things like that. And I had long hair and I had four sisters. So, you know, my mum was really creative, you know, and she I could talk about anything with her. And she uh, she never bought us war toys. 
you know, we weren't allowed guns. So we, only, we, we always had like puppets and musical instruments and really creative things. But, you know, I, I mean, I had no idea what being a sissy was or what being gay was. Well, my experience was I was, I was told all that about myself <clears throat> before I realised what it was. But that's why I started to learn about it. That's yeah. why, you know, because other people said I was gay. So I had to work out what gay yeah, was. what it was, yeah. So do, what was your mum like about your girliness? Um, well, I, I never, ever got scolded. I mean, one time, one time I got called a girl by my dad and that, that, that really hurt me. It was only ever one time, but I, I think I was being a, a real cow. So I deserved <laughs> it, you know. But, um, and then I had like four sisters and then my baby brother was only born as I was leaving home. So, you know, I, I'd had girls all around me. So, and I didn't trust the children my own age where we lived because they were too spiteful. So I only played with younger people or with older relatives. What do you mean they were spiteful? Because they were horrible to you? Yeah, they were really nasty. They were like... Um, because they because they thought you were gay, they thought yeah, you were different. Yeah, because you, you were weak or whatever. They would, like, push you over the wall or... It's a horrible way to grow up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, they would whip you. I got, I got whipped with um, privately, privet hedge sticks, you know, with the, with the leaves yeah, stripped yeah. off and things like that. But you're saying it with a smile on your face. That kind of thing yeah. is actually a trauma I for know. a child to live through. When we're distanced from it's it, all... we can laugh about it, can't we? But no. I sometimes look back at some of the things people used to say and do to me, and it's yeah. like a trauma to live through, especially when yeah. you don't feel you can tell any adults or parents or whatever because you're ashamed of the things that they're saying to you. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it just makes you really, really sensitive and closes you in and kind of makes you realise just how cruel humans can be. And I still think that now. I, th I think it's wicked. I, I think it's one of those things that kind of like goes up and down. I mean, your heart does close down, definitely, I think, because just depending on your mood in the world and how you reflect on things, you know, just and things that have happened to you. But then after a while, you just slowly, slowly, you start trusting again. Mm. But it's interesting that you say you didn't trust other kids because they were so horrible to I you. I still don't. Even now, like young teenagers, I don't trust them whatsoever. That's that's um, so it had a real impact on yeah. your psyche, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. And what was so? What was so? That was the kids on your council estate. What yeah. about Peterborough as a kind of small town England yeah. in the sixty-seven <coughs> in the seventies? Yeah. What was it like? to grow up as a as a boy who knew that he was different and it was kind of all right you know because you because you i mean you you know i mean there weren't really horrible rough council estates or anything it was like um uh you know i had my cousins up the road i had two girls across the road called coral and cherry and then we would play uh, we I, I was always like trying to do theater as well so you'd have you, you know i'd be making tickets like rolls of tickets and uh, putting all the chairs out on the lawn and putting a, a tea chest for a cauldron and, um, you know, playing it as a knockout and spraying the lawn with fairy liquid. So it was all slippery. But, you uh, know what, when you, it's <laughs> interesting that when you were doing all this stuff, which yeah. was expressive and creative yeah. and basically expressing who you were, yeah. other boys, anyway, yeah. um, turned against you. Yes, I mean, I did used to uh, mess around with my next-door neighbour as well. Oh. So it was kind of... So there were the two... So, so there was, was the boyfriend at school, the two other ones. So there was somebody else. There was quite a few. I mean, I was quite... Uh, I mean, I, did, I didn't really realise, you know, this was all at different ages. And I was I was telling this Irish lady once on the on the aeroplane, I was sitting next to her and telling her a bit about my life, and she goes, oh, you're just a randy bugger. That's what she said. So do you think that's what it is? Do you think it's that simple? It's nothing to do uh, with... Well, I think it was to do with, like, being really, really frustrated. Yeah. You know, like, just to the point of... Uh, maybe that's just teenage hormones, but, you know, to the point of when you're, like, boiling and you're just kind of explode... <clears throat> yeah, like, explode over, you know. Yeah, so, right, so, OK, so... So what you've described is what sometimes makes people angry. So is this how your anger chose to present itself, as sexual frustration and being what the woman on the plane said... Probably. You're a, ran a randy bugger yeah, or whatever? Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean... You know, I used to kind of try and go cottaging in Peterborough, but it was so small. <laughs> I love the fact 
haven't. I haven't even had to try <laughs> to make you, you open up. You've you, gone straight you in there with all these boys you were having sex with. You couldn't with go there. Gym. I mean, you, you know, I worked on the market and used to go and have my lunch break in in the toilet, but. I would never ever do anything. I, I I only used to like just look through the latch key or whatever, you know. So this is public toilets in Peterborough. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, in the end, I thought, oh, there weren't any more toilets, so I have to go somewhere else. And did you ever see guys wanking themselves off at the urinals or whatever? Um, to be honest, I can't really remember. I think my first erect one I saw, apart from being in school, was um, in Skegness. <laughs> In the fairground, yeah, in the fairground. What? Some guy got his dick out in the, for you? No, in the toilet. And then, and my cousin said, "What are you doing? In big, what are you so long in there for?" And I was because I could see a. Were you just looking at it, or did you get get a go on it? No, no, no. Because I, I was in the next cubicle, so I just looked through the little <laughs> through the little crack. Well, so, you were, so this is how this is how sexually frustrated you yes. were. And how you were yes. literally looking through cracks in public toilets. Yes. Yeah. No, it's still very much. You know, I'm kind of. Very voyeuristic, could, oh, because really? of that. Yeah, because, because of, that. of that. Yeah. And right, so can we just go back? Yeah. So there's the boy on the same estate as you, yeah. and there's the the boyfriend at school. Yeah. So um, I needed to grow up. I mean, they all came. Uh, they all came out later as well. So you know, it wasn't just experimenting, messing around. So right, so when you, if you were in your teens, and you knew that any sign of gayness, everybody turned on you. You knew that it was you weren't supposed to be like that. Yeah. But you were attracted to it. What was going through your head when you were with these boys? We was just thinking that because I can remember that heart beating thing. You were terrified yeah. of making the first move because nobody would yes. say yes. you didn't identify openly as gay. So yeah. it was all you didn't know whether they'd turn against you. Yeah, we kind of had. With my friend, we kind of pretended we were doing a photo session with a with one of those Canon cameras, and ended up getting your dick and started out. like you know <laughs> just being more and more provocative with the with the uh, with the poses. Yeah, it was that, like a whole dance, yeah, wasn't it? You yeah. couldn't go straight to yeah. it. You couldn't address it. You had to dance around yes. it. Yes, excited, adrenaline going. Yeah, but terrified as well. Yes. So who, so what was the, which was the first of all these boys? Which was the first one that you had a sexual experience I think with? the first one must have been my next door neighbour. Yeah, probably maybe 10 or 11 or 12, because I remember him saying once over the back garden fence, you know, have you had your jab yet? Like, meaning your inoculations for whatever. And I thought he said, have you had your jam? <laughs> like, so I thought he meant, have you come? And uh, so, so for a while, I was like really very concerned, you know, that I haven't managed to ejaculate, you know. I and mean, then also because I was called sissy so much. I mean, my the milkman we used to help him on his milk round. He said to me, "Oh, Andy, you don't half walk like a girl," you know. And I and I thought, well, how does a girl walk? I mean, I was trying not to walk like a girl, and it really like screwed me up a bit, you know. I know it does. And I, and it? I kind of thought. You know the line that you have on your scrotum? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was an experimental sex change. What, because like you had a line 60s. in the scrotum? Yeah, I thought that was a scar from going from being a girl to a boy. Yeah. Oh, I, you know what? I remember looking at my private parts thinking everything was wrong. What was wrong with me? You had no yeah. idea in those days yeah. before the internet what was normal. Yeah. I actually have a girlfriend yeah. who went to the doctors when she was about 12 and said there was something wrong with her down below yeah. because she didn't know what a vagina looked like no. and she thought there was something wrong with hers. Yeah. And um, so it's not just gays, but yeah. with us, we thought we were aberrations of nature, didn't we? We thought it was all wrong. I don't know. I just thought I was, you know, an experimental sex change, and then. Um, so when so tell us about so you were you were taking pretending to have a photo shoot with this yeah. boy next door. So what was it like the the moment that you first kissed him? I don't know if we kissed. Oh, did think, you go straight? I don't, we, <laughs> I don't think we kissed. I can't really re really remember what happened. I think probably kissing was maybe the last thing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Straight down I don't think to business. Ever, I don't think we ever kissed. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it was about kissing. It was about, it was, it's about like... It was more being intrigued with 
what was the other one like? Feeling each other's dicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about the boy at school? Well, that was the boy at school, that one. Oh, he was that. With, he... with the photo session. Oh, right, oh, sorry. But the other one, I'm not sure how that happened. I think that just came from, like, like laying on the sofa and being, laying on top of the, each other or something. I did try to seduce a boy once when he, he stayed at my house for the school holidays. He was a boarder because we had half boarding house and half day boys and um and we got really drunk and we were talking about being bisexual and everything and i and i took that as being like come on and i tried to seduce him and then he um what did that consist of trying to seduce him? well because he, he was asleep you see uh, and so. then the next day he wasn't there and he never came back and i thought oh, oh god where's he gone and then he told the school when i got back so oh. i kind of got a bit ostracized when i went back so when you when you got the girlfriend then that yeah. you mentioned earlier was that yeah. to kind of cover if you'd already been outed at school were you trying to cover up No I don't think it was to, I don't think it was to cover up I mean I I, I kind of re it, I suppose some way maybe it was to please my parents but I just but I really wanted to try it just in case you know And did you have sex with her Yeah And did you like her It was quite nice but uh it wasn't my thing Yeah Yeah so you say you wanted to have a girlfriend partly to please your parents. So what did yeah. your parents say then when you finally came out to them? Uh, I, I think they weren't shocked because we'd, I'd said to my mum, I'd written her a letter and said, oh, I'm bisexual. And then, and then I wrote her another one and said, well, you know, I said, oh, I'm bisexual. Well, I'm not. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm gay. So, so they were fine. You know, I mean, I, I, did, I took a boyfriend home when all the... The children were still living there, my sisters oh, really? and brothers, and we slept in the same bed. Oh, so they were, they were, so they really were progressive. They were really they sweet, honestly. And I, heard, I remember hearing my sisters outside the door, the bedroom door, because they said, oh, Andy's sleeping with um, Danny, you know, in the same bed. And they said, so? They said, that's because they love each other. They said, you love your sister, don't you? Oh. Like that, you know. That's really um, yeah. advanced for amazing. them, isn't it? Really amazing. But interestingly, one yeah. of my gay heroes, Andy Bell, I would have thought you would be a gold star gay, but oh. you went through a bisexual phase and you had oh, right. sex with a girl. Oh, right. Wow. I've not done either. So oh. I've outgayed you on both. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. So let's go back to when you moved to London with this girlfriend. Yeah. But I would love to know if you'd been so sexually frustrated yeah. as a young gay man, yeah. what was it like when you started to explore your identity and go to clubs and all this? If well, been... to be honest, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel kind of jealous of George Michael, you know, because I think he's explored every avenue that he wanted to, and I don't think that I have, you know. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I think, I mean... You know, I, I think a lot to do with my shyness as well. You know, I mean, I've been all around the world and everything, but, uh, you know, even kind of going to bathhouses or whatever, you know, I wouldn't hardly do anything because I, I just felt like... Uh, I think especially as, as, as we became more and more famous as well, you know, I remember one time being in Amsterdam and, um, and this guy was, like, um, doing a blowjob on me and then he goes oh you really look like that guy from Eurasia and I thought oh this is it now you know <laughs> I, I'm not gonna yeah know. but to be honest I think um when you put it all out there anyway yeah. in your public persona um would it have been a big story that you got a blowjob from a guy in Amsterdam well when... probably not no I mean you know it, it was uh that was the thing it was kind of like I think it's because I can't let go so, so when you say you're jealous of George Michael for doing everything, yeah. you mean everything sexually? You mean you're yes. quite vanilla and you're quite inhibited sexually? Um, I wouldn't say I was inhibited, but uh, let's say... I mean, I've been to a few of those kind of, like, S&M type, you know, um, parties and things, but I'd never surrendered myself to the full goings-on in whatever's happening in there. Yeah, but you're saying that as if it's a bad thing. If it's not part yeah. of who you are... Right, I mean, yeah. if people like doing that, that's great. Yeah, but if yeah, you, yeah. I think it's something worse than forcing yourself to do it because you feel you should. Right. And, um, you know, you don't feel good about yourself yeah. afterwards if that's the case. Right. I mean, I've no, I, I haven't thought about it that much, but, you know, maybe I just felt I wasn't complete, like a complete 
gay person? I don't know. Well, I don't know. There's still plenty of time, darling. No, no, I'm married now, so. Are you married? Yeah. Who to? I'm married to Stephen, who's, he lives, he, we, live, we live half in Miami and half here. So, oh, right, yeah. well, I didn't know any of this. Right, let's oh, take, yes. right, you, you're getting a cigarette out. Yeah. Let's have a little pause yeah. while you smoke a fag. Okay. And then we'll come back okay. and we'll talk about Stephen yeah. and lots of other stuff. All right. We're going to get back to Andy now, but a quick reminder that Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk I'll look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. So you come to London, what about when you went to your first gay bar or club? Yeah. What was that like? Did you feel like, I found my people, I'm here? Well, apart from, I can't really remember the sequence, but apart from going to some gay bars, my first ever club was... Uh, the Embassy Club, so I probably chose the wrong one to go to. Well, I well I don't know the Embassy. What was? Oh, because it was on a Sunday night, but it was like really posh because it was like in Chelsea or somewhere like that. It's a posh club, club for posh girls. Yeah, like really posh, you know. And I went there, and um, but I just I, I do remember like a, a, having such an exhilarating experience because it was you'd pay like ten pounds or maybe five pounds then, and get a free drink, you know. and have gin and tonic or whatever and then uh and I just remember I feel love being on by Donna Summer and uh just all these guys standing round that just look like models like to me you know and I, and I I mean the music was for me the saving grace it was the most exhilarating uplifting music that I'd ever heard even though I probably heard it before but yeah. it was just this place it was being played in so so did you feel like you know when you started discovering the scene rather than this specific club, mm. this is what I was waiting for, this is what I wanted. I think once, uh, once I started finding, finding the right places, which was, which was more um, when they had cheap nights, you know, <laughs> being on, the, on benefits and things. You know, once when you got you, out to the posh players and got yeah, the cheap Yeah, you know, when you go to like um, Heaven on Wednesday or the Bell Pub, and the, I mean, the Bell was really amazing. That was like really instrumental in in my um, awareness. And you mentioned the music. Um, I've always been interested, what do you think it is about high energy, electro pop, uplifting yeah. accessible pop music? That why, why does it appeal to so many gay men? Because if you go from Sylvester and Disco in the 70s and then ABBA, obviously yeah. you're a huge fan, you recorded yeah. a whole EP, Kylie Steps, you know, mm. why do you think fluffy, fluffy escapist pop has always appealed to so many gay men? Um, Because I think it reminds you of the kind of patheticness of real life. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hilarious theory. I think so. Because it's just so fluffy and just light and nonsense. And, you know, it's like when you realise kind of like how the media really is, you know, and... The news is just a cycle going round and I don't know, it, it, I mean, it's not that that you think it's pathetic, but it's kind of like, it's so throwaway and... Uh... Well, there's a theory, isn't there, that if, you, if you're going through lots of intense, twisted emotions in your head, you know, because you're trying to work out who you are and your desires aren't just innocent, they're all kind of mixed up with all this yeah, intention. Yeah. Suddenly you hear some light throwaway Kylie yeah. and you just forget about all that and you just disappear into the fluff. Yes. I mean, it, I mean, in the beginning with the, with the high energy music, which I couldn't really quite understand, but sometimes you did sort of get into the, to that, like, so many men, so little time, just that, like, uplifting, up, 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 up beats, you know, and, uh, and you really felt like that. You really felt like being a rabbit in the headlights that you had to sleep with so many men in such a sh- in in a short time because because all the music all the songs were all about that then there's a lot of um there's a lot of pressures and expectations with gay men isn't it you've already said you feel like you should have been to s&m clubs and blah blah yeah. blah and you just said 
you had to sleep with the pressure to have to sleep with yeah. so many men. Where does that come from? Our culture's been so sexualized yes. historically, hasn't it? I think it was just from the initial of the initial abandonment of maybe just like disregarding convention and throwing the rules away. I, I don't know. Just from like having everything and the whole world being your oyster kind of thing. And you People know, go mad if yeah, that come up. Yes. Yeah, it's like yeah, you say. But you were um, very much a one-man woman. You always liked having a boyfriend. and Yes, I mean, it was kind of... Um, it was very strange. I mean, with when I met Paul, I met Paul at the same time as I met Vince. And then, and then Paul discovered he was HIV after about into two years in our relationship. Aww. So we would know, he would no longer be, like, really intimate, you know, and I wasn't really prepared to uh, be safe, I suppose, with him. And um, so, so he, he so gave me my freedom to go out and so I wasn't monogamous with him, which is kind of, kind of like, I mean, what, uh, that's one regret that I have about, I know I shouldn't have them, but about our relationship is that I really wish I'd appreciated his love. Oh. You know, I really do. But you were with him for 25 years. I was you with must him have, for 25 you're years. Sure you're not yeah. mit- I mean, surely the act of staying with him for 25 years is well, appreciative on some level. Well, he was a lovely guy. Who, and he was so fierce. He was so protective of me. I think, um, I think in the end it became... I mean, he passed away, but it kind of became... You know, we were together right until the end. But I think we were ready to kind of separate. Oh, really? Yeah, you know. Do you mind if I ask? Yeah. So you say you were together for two years and then he found out he was HIV. Yeah. But you hadn't been safe until that point. No. So you so you were lucky then in those days? I was very lucky, yeah, because I, I had been tested because because there had been a scare story around about me and that, that was going to be in the press, which never never surfaced. But, but, you know, I'd infected someone and I had been tested because I'd had my appendix removed then. Ah. And I was away on tour, and um, uh, Paul had to take this letter to this particular newspaper, proving that I was negative. Talk which, about talk about know, an attack, a vic- know. you know, victimisation. How dare they? And then they had, you know, then then we had the, the police coming round saying, <gasps> "Do you want to prosecute the guy that had made this accusation?" And I just felt sorry for him. I said no. But, right, so you knew you were HIV negative then. Yeah. But he was positive. And you, you've you since publicly come out and said yep. that you are HIV positive yeah. now. So do you know how you were infected and when you were diagnosed? I honestly don't know. I mean, I did, you know, I had, I did have lover, other, lover, other lovers. Um, uh, I had one guy in Amsterdam. Uh, but I really honestly don't, don't, don't know. So you were you were diagnosed in '98. Yes. And um, by this stage, we've got combination drug therapy. It doesn't. Thankfully, mean, yeah. yeah. It was just. It was kind of. I think it was the tail end of AZT. Oh God. Just. Yeah. So you, if you already had a partner who was HIV positive, what did it yeah. mean to you? How did you feel when you were diagnosed? Well, I, I just think we went. We just went through this very bleak black period. Both of us, you know, I, I think probably for about maybe 10 years. Oh. You know, where we just, like, we're just oblivious, taking drugs and not, not even leaving the house. And and r- r- my body was r- breaking down, you know, and I was kind of, like, in denial, really, about it, about the whole thing. And just had so many things going wrong, like, you know, shingles and really nasty things, you know, and then... Once I kind of like, uh, well, I got new, I got I got pneumonia, and um, this was in in Mallorca, and uh, and they just said straight away, you know, oh, we're going to do, do a test and what and, to see if it was full blown AIDS. Yes, and they said, well, you, you know, you're positive, and they, and the criteria then was if you had double pneumonia, it was considered uh, being AIDS. So, uh, you know, I was very lucky. It was kind of. Well, in some you know. sense, it's lucky in that you're still here now when yeah. you consider, you know, what happened to others. Yes. But um, but that's quite... There's quite a, if you grow up may, being made to feel ashamed of who you are and then you get this disease, there's a lot of shame attached and there's still all this stigma. Yeah. It's quite a lot to... It's no surprise to me that you then entered this dark period. Yeah. 
So you talk about regret. What do you, if you could yeah. um, speak to the man that you were then going through that experience, what would you yeah. say to yourself? I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would relive my life any differently, you know, because I wouldn't know what I know now. So, but at the same time, I think I was incredibly naive when I started out and kind of thinking I was going to conquer the world and all this stuff, you know, when you're younger. And then, um, uh, I don't know, I, I, I think I just would have been more caring about other people. And how caring were the people to you? Because, you know, as I said, there yeah. was a lot of shame attached to HIV. There's still a stigma. When you... So you were diagnosed in 98 and you came out as HIV positive About in 2004. Five, 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 five. Four or five. Yeah. So, um, so did you not come out for a while because you knew that there would be stigma? I mean, I, I, I didn't come out because I was really scared. Yeah, I was really scared. Then, especially, especially after that newspaper you know, story. Um, I just felt like then you, you... You know, and to be honest, I'm kind of like... I'm I'm very thankful that after we've... You know, after we had the ABBA EP come out and it was... And we were really famous. And I just said, oh, God, please, can you switch it off? And then that's what happened. So you, you know, started to go off the rails after that? Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think... I don't know if it was that hubris thing or just readjusting, you know, to like from being in the limelight to not being in the limelight. I don't know. But it was, but it was, but I think it was actually taking time for you. Yeah. Rather than just, because the, you know, when you're in a band, I think the hardest thing is to learn how to say no, because you just end up doing everything. But you've, you, like you say, you had it, you kind of, you know, for a, for a, to go from being a shy person to having extreme fame, yeah. to taking a step back from it, um, to having a secret that you didn't want to reveal. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot going on there, isn't it? It feels yeah. like, I mean, have you been looking after yourself? Have you had therapy and that kind of thing? I have had, I, I have had therapy. And um, to be honest, I'm quite surprised that I'm not totally bonkers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm quite mad compared to some people, but... I think I pretty much got my feet on the ground, you know, and uh, I've never been one of these kind of people that would use fame for revenge or anything like yeah. that, you know? And, yeah. So you're mentally well. Are you physically well? Yeah, I feel really great now. I mean, I hadn't been to the gym for ages, but... Because it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> but because we're going on tour now, you have to, you know. Well, so you're going on tour, so let's yeah. talk about your brilliant new album. Yeah. You've just celebrated 30 years of Erosion. Yep. You've got a fantastic new album, which I love. Interestingly, it's some of the songs are a bit more reflective and slower yeah. paced. Yeah, What's prompted this, then? Well, I just, I just felt like we, I just wanted to be real, you know, and not, and not do pop. You know. Was pop not real then? Well, I just felt like because maybe because we'd been on this treadmill of kind of like trying to write a pop song, yeah. And I think after a while it doesn't work anymore. I've just thought you've answered the question I asked you a while ago when yeah. I said why do why do so many gay men love fluffy pop? Yeah, it's because it's not real. It's escapist. Yeah, uh, that's it's, that's that simple, isn't it? When yeah. reality isn't working for you, yeah, you want something that's not real. Yeah. Anyway, your new album is yeah. responding to the real world. There's right. some political stuff in there as well, isn't there? Yeah. Bits, because obviously, <laughs> yeah, especially after Brexit and stuff and Trump. I know that it's just e they're, they're easy targets, but I just felt so kind of despondent about it, you know, and I just thought the British people were a bit wiser. But... Well, interestingly, though, you say you feel despondent. The message that I get from the album yeah. is... It's quite positive at the same time. Well, it's always it's always uplifting. I think whatever we we do, because because that's all always my inner choir boy crying for salvation, the <laughs> yeah. yearning. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of yeah, in terms of the positivity, yeah. you know, things are. I know that there's things like Brexit, Trump, yeah, and yeah. I know that. Yeah. Um, the far right is yeah. in the ascendance again. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, if you look back to when you were growing up in Peterborough, yep. the situation for gay men, at least in this country, is yes. immeasurably better. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Did you ever think that that 
I always felt like I was born ahead of my time in some ways and behind in the wrong time because I think I would have been much better as a 40s crooner. <laughs> you know, and as a silent movie actor. But so, um, yeah, so in some ways I kind of, even though I said I don't like teenagers very much, I just feel like the world has evolved so far beyond my expectations, even for having a vivid imagination, that young people are so far ahead of, like, what I ever thought you know, yeah. we could be, because it's... And they don't even... They, they, they're not bothered about anything. I sometimes feel anything. jealous about how complacent they are, about how brilliant their world is. Yeah. You know. You know. And um, so sometimes I get that... I get the nostalgia for the, you know, for the uh, the good old... The coming out days, you know, yeah. because to me it was kind of... I mean, it was really exciting and you, and you felt like you were doing something and now you, and now you kind of feel like... It's all a bit by the wayside and, you know... What do you think about the gay community now it, compared to... You know, you talked about the scene when you were first finding your feet as a gay man, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about the scene, um, you know, falling away and not, yeah. be, you know, being less relevant than it used to be and gay bars closing. But it strikes me yeah. that actually we use the word community... But still, the only places for us to meet up and come together involve drink or drugs yeah, or sex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it maybe, maybe it got saturated a bit with, with gay bars. Maybe there was too much choice around, you know. I mean, like in the 80s, it was like there wasn't that many gay bars. I mean, there, you know, there was a lot in London, but it's probably only about 20 to 30 bars maybe. And now, I mean, there's still there are pockets, you know, places that are fun to go to, you know. Are there any gay bars in Peterborough? Uh, there was. There were There were three at one time. Not, oh when, not when I was living there. But then it used to be rumoured, rumoured, the back bar of the Bull Hotel, <laughs> which I went there, but there was nobody there. <laughs> and, then, um, and then another time, you know, in... in uh, uh, yeah, there, was, there were three pubs going at once. But I don't think there is one now. I think it's like a once-a-month social... But how do you feel when you look back at what the scene was like then and what it's like now? Um, I don't know. I kind of liked it then when I was growing up, well, you know, in, when I first moved to London, because it was much rougher. And I don't mean in a sexual context, but... Because in some ways you were kind of threatened. So you were kind of, like, pulled together oh, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know in the bar, so it was kind of like... And you, we did things together. You went on marches together. Well, Paul O'Grady I spoke to about a lot. Yeah. He said there was a sense of community. There really was, yeah. You know, and it was... And, uh, and the music was great. Not like it is now. <laughs> <laughs> and what about things like, you know, that you always read about saunas and sex apps and chemsex parties? Right, what do you think about yeah. this aspect of contemporary gay culture? Um, again, I, to be honest, I don't really know. You know, I kind of like... Uh, I do fear that kind of abandonment as well sometimes. I don't mean for myself, but for other people. You know, I think you can get so lost in it and wrapped up in it and kind of, like, not caring about your body at all, you know, and kind of just wearing yourself out through it. And, um, well, there's definitely a complacency towards HIV, isn't there? Yes, though? yeah, definitely, yeah. How does that make you feel, then, after your experiences? Um, well, I just think it's... People just take it too lightly, you know. I would never... I would take a cure tomorrow if there was one. But you, so you say you'd take a cure. <coughs> do you think um, Do you think when young people are complacent and barebacking and they don't realise what's involved... And I what's... think you can't tell a young person. It's impossible, I don't no. think. I mean, you can drum it home to them, but I think you, you, when you're young, you're just so... You want to be free. Well, they want that abandonment, yes, don't they, that yeah. you were talking about? Yeah. But by the time you get to your age, yep. you've settled down. <laughs> yeah. You slipped in earlier that, that you yeah. were married. Yeah. Um, so who's the lucky fella there? Three years. Well, I, I, we've been together five years, and Stephen, I met just really amazingly, and I had the same feeling as when I met Paul. And the, and, and the, and the, thing, the, the thing that's always struck me, only on these two occasions I would call loves of my life, is who's this strange person? You know, that was the initial... So you were intrigued and yes, curious rather yeah. than thinking, he's gorgeous, I'm yes, a fuck him. Yes, yes. It was on both occasions and, 
And with Stephen, he's, you know, he's been amazing. He's completely non-judgmental. And, um, you know, uh, when we first met, I, I did, I, I went with these two guys on the boat one time and he said, oh, I'd much rather you didn't. So I thought, like, I'm going to respect him. And Well, sorry, so you were in an early relationship with him and you got yeah. two men on a boat? Yes, like, that was <laughs> really, really early on, that was. Yeah. But um, I, I want to respect him and respect myself for, for doing it, you know? So you were in an open relationship, because this is quite a hot topic amongst yeah. gay people. I've noticed from Attitude's website and our yeah. social media feeds, open relationships. You had an open relationship with Paul for 25 years, but now you're in a monogamous... monogamous. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily call that an open relationship because we, because we were platonic in the end, oh, you right, see? Okay. Which is, that's really hard, because I wasn't allowed to fall in love with anybody. Yeah. You know, so you can have sex but not fall in love. So that is really hard because you're cutting your heart off all the time, you know. But you've had a happy ending and you've it's, found uh, It's love amazing. Now. I mean, he, I, met, I met Stephen at the same time when Paul was becoming ill and uh, he really helped me because he had lost his father through cancer, you know, and it wasn't... I wasn't looking for someone to... A, yeah. at all, you know. And uh, I just happened to be going and doing this PA uh, his club, he's, he's got a club in Tampa. And oh, he's American? Yeah, he's American. And we just, like, looked at each other and it was like, wow, you know, one of those feelings of, like... And he's not... He's kind of... He was like a punk cage dancer. So he's not an Erasure fan? He wasn't an Erasure fan? No, not really, you know, and... Uh, and just... I don't know. But you split your... You said you split your time between there and here. Yeah. So um, so I'm intrigued because I've been around a while now and yeah. I've never seen you out and about at the gay parties and events and award ceremonies. Right. Do you keep yourself to yourself because you're shy or because you've been in relationships or grieving or...? Um, it's probably a bit of both of those things, but I do go to things. I go to the Terence Higgins Trust thing, galas and things and National AIDS Trust things. You know, I go out with my lesbian friends, you know, <laughs> and I go around the corner here yeah. to the ship and the grapes and uh, uh, maybe the Friendly Society. Um, I'd love to go to the Glory. I've never been there Oh, yet. I went there for the first yeah. time oh. last weekend. I loved it. Yeah, I'd love to go there. I'll take you to the Glory. Okay. I loved it. It's a deal. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually think, I genuinely think, if you look at the gay icons and heroes from the era that you first became successful and famous, so many of them have been celebrated so much more than you. Yeah. I don't think your story has been told right. as much as it should have done. Would you agree? How do you feel about that? I do feel that sometimes, yeah. I feel like, I feel like we chose the right name with Erasure. <laughs> you know, and it's uh, and I, uh, it's the same way I felt about ABBA. They were forgotten for ages. Yeah, you know? Until you came along and... Yeah, so maybe song. it's just like a, you gravitate to the ones you love, you know. But I think you need to know how important you were to so many gay men. I think you, know how imp you need to know how important you were to this gay man growing up. You changed my life. Well, I mean, it is lovely, you know... Um, I get lots of people coming up to me in North America and South America, different places, and just saying thank you and stuff like that. And I just think, like, sometimes, like, well, I didn't do that much, really. I just you did, said, though. like, who, who I you was. Were, you were true you to know? yourself publicly. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's been great to meet you. I'm not frightened right. of you anymore. No, good. <laughs> uh, Andy Bell, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Andy Bell from Erasure. And their new album, World Be Gone, is out now. I want to say a quick thanks to you if you've shared this podcast series, either online or just by telling a friend about it, because we now have a record number of subscribers. These podcasts are sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. Check out their website at great.gov.uk. And our co-sponsors are Jaguar. If you'd like more information on their products, then you can visit the website jaguar.co.uk or look out for them in the latest issue of Attitude magazine. 
I'll be back in a couple of weeks to let you know who my next special guest is. For now, take care and I'll see you on the next Attitude Heroes. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 